Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Aaron Torres of Fox Sports Radio, as well as the Aaron Torres podcast. And Aaron, as always, my man, it's good to catch up with you. How are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing today? And we're doing awesome. We're doing awesome. And it's uh, at least a lot better. I think at least the last time we talked, I may be mistaken, but the last time we talked, the Razorback basketball team was kind of teetering a little bit. And now look at them, top 25, five seed in Joe Lenardi's bracketology. It's amazing what just a few weeks can do for a basketball team once they get things turned around, and Arkansas is the prime example of that. Yeah, it's funny. I do another interview uh, within state on Fridays, and, you know, early in the season, oh, you know, Muss always figures it out, nothing to worry about, blah, 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 blah. And I'm not going to lie, there was probably about a two-week window there where I was starting to, you know, am I going to have to reevaluate my Muss always figures it out take that I've basically been right on uh, for, like, six straight years now? Like, so, uh, so no, man, he, um, I think he's done an incredible job with this team, and it's so funny to me been kind of covering them and following them for probably a little bit longer than Razorbacks fans have really been aware. But, you know, every team starts a little bit different. Um, you know, last year, Connor Vanover played more and whatever. Uh, by the end of the year, the teams always look the same, always play the same, always play their butts off. It's a bunch of dudes that are between like 6'4 and 6'8. Uh, it's just, it's funny to me, but I was watching that Auburn game the other night, obviously a week ago now at this point. I was just like, man, Every year, it's like clockwork. Musk always has it figured out. And uh, listen, there's still some big games ahead. Tennessee all of a sudden looks a lot better than they did even a week or two in their own right, much like Arkansas. And so uh, there's still a lot of stuff to be uh, a lot of stuff to be decided. But man, oh man, oh man, uh, as you said, John, just uh, you know, a fun couple weeks to be a Razorback. So Aaron, in looking at this team and this roster this year for Arkansas, who's impressed you? I mean, Eric Musselman's impressed me more than anybody because, you know, I watched this team in November, December, and I said, I, I don't know how all these pieces fit together. Now, one thing I will say, and this is in no way, shape, or form a criticism, but, uh, you know, I, I always thought Chris Likes probably was was best suited as a sixth man for this guy, a seventh man for this guy, and it seems that that's how Muss has kind of, um, kind of uh, you know, started to use him these last two or three weeks. But if I had to answer your question, Joe, as weird as it sounds, and this might sound a little weird, uh, I think it's been J.D. Note, right? Because I, I think we, we follow college basketball, and, you know, most leading scorers, all-conference-type players, they fit a certain profile. Uh, you know, uh, Oscar Shibway, even though he's a transfer and it's a third-year college basketball, he was a McDonald's All-American. He's a top-20 high school player. Walker Kessler, McDonald's All-American, top-20 high school player. Uh, Jabari Smith, obviously, McDonald's All-American, top-3, 4, 5 high school player. Uh, you go on and on down the list, and so for J.D. Note to just – been three years at Arkansas, continue to get better, continue to be in the gym. Uh, you know, he was the one guy, obviously, dating back to last year that looked like there was no fear when he stepped on the court against Baylor. Um, you know, and, and to see him now evolve into a guy that's, I, I think, very much in the running for SEC Player of the Year, I think it's an incredible incredible testament to not only the coaching staff, but certainly him and the work as, that he's put in as well. So it probably sounds weird saying, you know, how, how can a guy that was really good last year that was instant offense off the bench that was one of the best offensive players last year for this team? You know, I always kind of wondered, I, I, I wondered, you know, is this a guy that that's kind of his career? Is, it, is, is he going to be just a great six-man energy guy, 11 to 14 points a game guy, and he's obviously – much, much, much more than that for the Razorbacks this year, and frankly, they need to do that, uh, you know, based on what we've seen the last few weeks. 
Yeah, and one of the big uh, parts of this team, too, or at least over the past few games, Stanley Amude is finally really finding his own. I mean, he goes for 23 points last night, 6 of 9 from three-point land. He was the only really good part of Arkansas's offense because doesn't wasn't having much against Bama. If it wasn't for him, they would have gotten blown out of the game, too. But, you know, it, I think it's just nice for Razorback fans to finally be seeing, like, Note, Jalen Williams, those guys were on the team last year. They love them. But starting to see these transfers that were highly touted coming in and finally figuring out their role, what they're good at, what they're not good at, and being able to provide things. Sometimes it just takes a little bit of time, but it seems like these transfers are really starting to come around and figure out how to play in this system. Well, and that's why, you know, I mean, I think as time goes on, we'll kind of have a broader conversation about transfers. Um, but, like, I think everybody always thinks that, like, things are always going to be better wherever you go. Um, and especially at a place like Arkansas that has had a lot of success with transfers. Let me even give you another example, right? Is I, I remember talking to somebody in Kentucky, um, and it was during the year that they were undefeated going into the tournament. And Willie Cauley-Stein ended up being a lottery pick, but he was a third-year junior. And I remember somebody saying to me, um, yeah, Willie, when Willie was what was a freshman, thought he was just going to come in and it was going to be easy because the guys before him, like Anthony Davis, made it look so easy. And so I think it's the same with transfers, right, is – uh, you know, Jalen Tate made it look really easy last year. Uh, Moses Moody was obviously a freshman. He wasn't a transfer, but he comes in, and he's immediately one of the best players in the SEC. And so I'm sure that Augie's Tony and Stanley Amude and Chris Light, like they probably didn't realize how hard it is um, to, to, you know, not only have individual success, but to buy into a team concept, to play for Eric Musselman, and to win at the level. Because, you know, the thing about last year is whether it's Justin Smith, Jalen Tate, whatever – there was no real expectation, right? And, and, and I, I, I don't know what was a realistic expectation coming into last year, maybe make the NCAA tournament, whatever. But now these are the guys that are on the, the guys that are on the roster right now are the guys that are following the guys that made an elite eight. And so I'm not sitting here saying if, if these guys don't lead Arkansas to an elite eight, it's a disastrous season or they let the program down or anything. But like this isn't just walking in and, and hoping to build something. The, the, the culture and expectation level has kind of been established, and now it's on these guys to, at the very least, maintain what the guys last year did, if not have a higher success level. So to your point, John, I mean, I'm not really surprised that um, it takes some time because I, I think a lot of these guys, maybe they've had individual success, but, um, you know, obviously Audis Tony, you know, uh, Pitt struggled last year. He left the program with a week or two left in the season. Uh, Stanley Amude, I don't remember all the details on his time in South Dakota, but I don't think that his team had a ton of individual success. So I just bring it all up to say, like, even if you play well, whether it's at the same level, Power 5, Power 6 level, or whether you're coming up a level, I think there's just this expectation that because Justin Smith, Jalen Tate, whoever made it look so easy, that it's going to be as easy for me. That's obviously not the case. I think it took these guys, like everyone else, a while to figure it out. And now that they have, again, the team appears to be rolling. Several teams inside the uh, top ten in college basketball, even some outside the top ten, four losses or less. So who's the best team in college basketball? Well, you know, I think to me, I think there's four teams that have really kind of separated. And even though Kentucky lost last night, I include them. And I do like Auburn. I mean, listen, Auburn – you know, you guys were part of an incredible moment at Bud Walton Arena, but in the toughest environment that they played in without their starting point guard, um, you know, they were a player two away from winning that one in regulation, and, and you know, a bunch of Hogs fans walking out. You know, John, uh, you know, Eric Musselman and John Neighbors would have had to keep their shirt on that night if, uh, if Auburn had just made another player two in regulation. 
So, you know, I, I still think Auburn's ceiling is as high as anybody. I still like Gonzaga. I know every time you bring up Gonzaga, well, their conference stinks. And this, I mean, listen, they were one game away from winning a national championship last year. It didn't work out. They were one game away from winning a national championship a few years before that. And then I really do like Arizona, who's, who's a physically impressive team, uh, as physically impressive as anyone in the country. So, to me, you know, I think those are the four. Um, you know, the, what's interesting to me, guys, that, that I think is, is really fascinating that a lot of people don't talk about is um, usually, historically, uh, even if a team is really good or really high seed, if they've never played in an NCAA tournament before, it's really hard. It, like, 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 it's really hard to go from having never played an NCAA tournament game to going to a Final Four or winning a national championship, whatever. I mean, you think about that Baylor team last year. They, the 2020 tournament is canceled, but basically all of those guys were on the team in 2019 when they played in the NCAA tournament made the second round. Why I bring it up is because you look at college basketball this year. Arizona had a one-year postseason ban last year. They weren't in it. Auburn had a one-year postseason ban. They weren't in it. Kentucky wasn't in it because they stunk. Duke wasn't in it because they stunk. Uh, so you go on and on down the list, there really aren't that many teams with real tournament experience going into this year. So I think that's something to keep an eye on. Um, where Arizona, they, they, they look great, and I think they're awesome, but what happens when they get in that one-and-done setting and their season's on the line and it comes down to a player or two? Same with Auburn, same with Kentucky, same with schools like that. So to me, Joe, that's kind of what stands out. Uh, I think those three or four have kind of separated themselves. But listen, as weird as it sounds, there's only three weeks left in the regular season. Um, I think there's still some separation to be had, and so because of it, I think it'll be fascinating to watch going forward. How was Arizona able to bounce back so quickly after dismissing Sean Miller? How have they been able to bounce back? Is that what you asked? Yes, yeah, yeah. In your opinion, how have they been able to bounce back so quickly well, after? Well, that's an easy answer. It's because he left the cupboard completely full for Tommy Lloyd. And what I'll say, Joe, I, I think two things are true. Is I, I think that Sean Miller, who I had on my podcast today, we talked for about 45 minutes, I don't think there's any doubt that he left the cupboard completely full. I mean, Ben Matherin's a second-year player who's going to be a lottery pick. Um, you know, Cabela's. And Dale and Terry, I think, will play in the NBA. So you, Christian Coloco is definitely going to play in the NBA. So you're talking about, I think, probably potentially three to four NBA players that weren't quite good enough for the NBA, so they didn't leave, um, that Sean Miller left behind. By the way, it's worth noting, too, with Arizona, they self-imposed the tournament ban last year. They were good enough to play in the tournament. Like, that's the big myth is that, you know, Sean Miller, it's been a, it's the last couple of years were a disaster. Well, they would have made the tournament in 2020, and if, if the school had let them play, they would have been a tournament team last year. But to your point, Joe, I, I think there's something important, and that is kind of that while Sean Miller left the cupboard bare, I do think Tommy Lloyd coming from Gonzaga, their new head coach, was the longtime Gonzaga assistant. Um, I think the way that the style of play that he wants to play kind of perfectly suits the guys that were already on that roster. And so it's this weird thing of, you know, usually when there's coaching change, one, the talent just isn't there. That wasn't the case. But then, two, by pure happenstance, you have a coach that's probably better equipped to get the most out of the guys on this specific roster because of how he wants to play. So it's a little bit of a perfect storm. It actually, in some ways, reminds me of UCLA, where you know Mick Cronin uh, uh, inherited a bunch of kind of just gruff veteran, tough guys that weren't you know kind of rough around the edges. That's how he wants to play. So. It's kind of crazy how it all happened, but that's really how it came together. Is that Sean Miller? You know, people, a lot of people like to criticize him, but you know, he left the cover completely full for for Tommy Lloyd, and, and Tommy Lloyd, I think, to his credit, has taken that group of players to a level that maybe even Sean Miller could have gotten them to. 
We're speaking with Aaron Torres of Fox Sports Radio and the Aaron Torres podcast here on Out of Bounds. In fact, Aaron, I know that you had Razorback head coach Eric Musselman on your podcast here recently. And, you know, he's a guy that does, uh, you know, goes on and does interviews. And it seems like it's a lot easier to talk to him, I'm sure, uh, when the program's going well and the team's winning and all of that. But uh, just what was that interview like with him at this point in time in the season? Because in press conferences, he's always hyped up and excited after a win. And the fact that you got a one-on-one with him, uh, what was some of your takeaways from it? Well, first of all, thanks for mentioning it, John. Um, you know, I think the biggest, I mean, first of all, you know, he was in a great mood. We spoke last week after the Auburn win. So obviously lots happened since then, you know, a little bit of a disappointment in Tuscaloosa, which I don't think Razorbacks fans should be disappointed about that because it was a, you know, a game where obviously no and Amude were in foul trouble. And that was a game they easily could have won. Uh, but no, I, I think, you know, speaking with him, um, I, I, you know, I don't really know what stood out, John. I mean, I, I thought it was a really fun interview. You know, he only had about 10 to 15 minutes. I'm sure if I had pressed him, he would have given me more. Um, but it was a day or two after Auburn and I didn't want to bother him and I appreciated his time. Um, but you know, I, I, I think what we talked about was frankly, a lot of the stuff that, that the three of us have just talked about over the last 10 or 15 minutes is the idea that it's a process, the idea that even as a coach, you know, you kind of have this vision of how all the pieces are going to fit together. But, you know, this isn't, you know, 19, you know, 80s college basketball where you keep everybody for four years and, and you're bringing in a bunch of new pieces. You know, you're bringing in guys where some guys used to having the ball in their hands. Some guys are used to coming off the bench. Some guys are used to starting and now have to come off the bench. Some guys uh, are starting but are actually better. You know, like there's just so many variables. And so I think talking to him, you know, he really talked about the impact that, that putting Trey Wade in the starting lineup has had which is a guy that, you know, I'll be honest, I try to monitor the transfer stuff as much as I can. Um, And he wasn't a guy that really jumped out on my radar when I'm looking at all the transfer stuff during last summer and into the the season this year as like, okay, this guy could be an X factor for a top 15 type team, but that's exactly what he's been. So uh, Coach Moss talked a lot about the impact of Trey Wade, um, talked about, I'm trying to think what else he talked about. It was just a fun day. I mean, obviously, talked about the shirtless celebration and he talked about, you know, how it came together and how quickly he was able to get the, the, uh, the, the, the sling off his shoulder and how quickly he had to put it back on to do the press conference. So all that kind of goofy stuff. I mean, again, now it feels like ancient history, but it was really awesome for him to make some time. I really appreciated his time. Really fun interview that I do think Hogs fans will enjoy. Um, and I, again, I'm just very grateful that he was willing to give me a few minutes because I know it's obviously a crazy time of year. How do you see Arkansas closing out the end of the season? Five games left, two against Tennessee. You got Kentucky at Florida and also LSU. Yeah, it's definitely a tough stretch. It's definitely a tough stretch, and I think that's something. And it's something like even you know going back to maybe the last time we spoke where John referenced off the top is that um, you know things weren't going as well. And that was what concerned me as an outsider about Arkansas. And, you know, let's be honest, I think fans were a little concerned too. I had a few people that were already ready to just transition to baseball season and not even talk about basketball, uh, you know, about January 15th or so. Um, but, you know, uh, the concerning part was that the easy part of the schedule was the front end and the back end was going to be tough. And so, um, you know, I think that's just the reality of playing in the SEC. I, I truly believe, I don't know if this is the best conference in college basketball top to bottom, um, but if it's not, it's in the short conversation. And by the way, we had a Big 12 SEC challenge, and the SEC won it. And people say the SEC or the Big 12 is the best conference in college basketball. So I bring it up to say there's, there's no night 
but it's a, it's an especially tough stretch for for Arkansas because one obviously look I mean you know just as an example right um, you know you caught uh, Arkansas and this is no disrespect it's just a reality Arkansas caught LSU when LSU was pretty banged up there without Xavier Pinson well now he's back and they're starting to turn a corner obviously you know that you're going to get. Um, you know, a, a, a really talented Tennessee team based on the last two or three games. Kentucky is right at the top of the standings right there with Arkansas. They're now two games back uh, in, the, uh, in the standings. They need to keep winning games. So, obviously, there's some tough games. I think the good news is a lot of them are at home. Um, and it all starts this weekend. And, and I think, you know, that was, to go back to John's question about what, what Coach Muss and I talked about, that was one thing I said to him. You know, I said, how do you get your guys to turn the corner? And he said, listen, all these guys want to be in the NBA. Well, guess what? In the NBA, you know, you might have the biggest win of your season and you got to come back 24 hours later and play again. And so I think, you know, one thing about Coach Moss, and I know you guys know this from having been around him for a few years now, is that, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know it's, it's an NBA culture, an NBA mentality, and it's kind of the next man up. I mean, you celebrate a win really hard, but then it's the old cliche of, you take 12 hours or 24 hours, then you move on to the next one. And so um, there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, obviously, with the stretch that's coming up, uh, you know, there, there's there's high, there's excitement right now, but also that excitement could dwindle really quickly. And I think that's probably, without knowing for sure, that's probably my guess as to what his message is in that locker room right now is just basically something to the effect of there's still a lot of work to be done. Um and, uh, you know, if we get kind of too high on our britches or too big for our britches, I guess this is the term, I think I put big for our britches and high for our horse together on the same thing. But anyway, <laughs> um, you know, if we if we get, you know, too, too out of control here, it could get bad really quickly. So uh, I'm excited to see this home stretch. But like you guys said, there's a lot of tough games left on this schedule. So kind of shifting gears a little bit, uh, I know that you, you cover all sorts of sports and everything, too, and I know uh, the whole Los Angeles angle, you got the Rams winning the Super Bowl, apparently the parade's going on right now, and you know, we were kind of poking some fun. I know, I can't hear you guys over the crowd noise, sorry, <laughs> keep talking, John, I can't, I can barely hear you, sorry. Yeah, that's what I was going to bring up, is it just looks like, man, there ain't nobody there and all that, but since you're out there and you know about the LA angle and everything like that, like what, what can you tell us about it, and uh, what'd you make of the Super Bowl in general? Well, you know, it's interesting because so I went to the opening night um, Sunday night game when they played the Bears at SoFi Stadium. It was the first game with fans in the stands. They played the Bears, whatever. And it was interesting because about 48 hours or so later, USC fired Clay Helton. And I bring it up, John, because when I went to the Rams game against the Bears, I was like genuinely blown away. There, like, like I thought it I don't know what I, I was expecting, but it was a ton of fans that seem to truly care about the team, have a passion for the team, have a love for the team. And I was just shocked, right? Because obviously the Rams had been in L.A. 30-plus years ago. They go to St. Louis, they come back. Um, and I remember saying when USC fired Clay Helen, I said, you know, people in L.A. are falling for the NFL. And if you – because USC, like, I don't think people remember, but when Pete Carroll, Reggie Bush, all those guys, Matt Leinart had it rolling, um, there was no NFL team in L.A. And on top of that, not only was there no NFL team, but also, let's not forget that that they're also the Lakers were kind of going through a transition post Shaq and Kobe. There wasn't much going on here. Well, now the Dodgers are awesome. They win the division basically every year. Uh, the Lakers are whatever, and the Rams are, of course, you know, kind of emerging as well. And so I remember saying at the time, like, if USC isn't careful, they're going to lose some football fans and never get them back if, if they hire a, a, a C plus coach 
and they go six and six again for the next four or five years. And so I bring all that up because I thought the, the, the fan base was really solid, really passionate. It felt that way walking around the city last week. I was at Radio Row. I did some things, uh, you know, kind of some of the convention center things, all that stuff. Uh, but I also have seen the pictures of the parade, and it, it doesn't seem, uh, you know, to be the most, uh, you know, uh, well-attended parade in the history of parades. So I could be completely wrong. Maybe my initial take that, that the, the city was really – uh, embracing NFL football, maybe that was wrong. I really don't know, um, but but I, I get the sense that people really have, really love the Rams. I think there's there's a lot of people that that still are around, or their parents were around, or their grandparents were around when they were here 30 years ago. But I also can't lie, John. I saw the pictures like you did this morning, and uh, you know maybe maybe I was wrong on that. So I, I do I do get stuff wrong, like you know every every so like every couple years I'll miss on a take here or there. So uh, so maybe this is one. Well, before I let you get out of here, man, since we're, we're talking about it and you know L.A. a lot more, what's the power rankings of sports teams when it comes to the attention paid to in the city of Los Angeles? Because I feel like it's the Lakers town. I think we all can probably agree with that. But as far as all the sports teams, how does the how does the power rankings go? How does the list go as far as what people in Los Angeles care the most about when it comes to their sports teams? I would say definitely Lakers-Dodgers 1-1A. One one um and, you know, part of it maybe – I wasn't here during the Kobe years, let alone – forget the Shaq Kobe years, the Kobe years. Like, you know, my wife grew up in L.A., and she's, like, literally a basketball fan because of Shaq and Kobe. Like, I actually – you know, there's kind of a, a sad story, but I remember talking to a neighbor of mine, uh, you know, probably a few months before Kobe passed, unfortunately. But, you know, he found out that I worked in, in basketball or in sports, and he said, oh, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge Kobe fan. Like, and, and that's how much – Kobe meant to this city was people wouldn't even say I'm a Lakers fan. They'd say I'm a Kobe fan. But then in terms of the, the, the importance, I think the Lakers and, and God, the Lakers were, were up top for a while since I've been here. I think it's been a little bit more of a balancing act. Uh, I can tell all of the state of Arkansas right now, all of little rock. Uh, I, I think Lakers fans are as fed up with LeBron as most of the rest of America is like, you know, he kind of came in and, you know, he kind of thought, you know, things were going to be a certain way. And Lakers fans are like, we won way before you, and we won way after you. We're going to win way after you. And so I don't think he's been embraced quite the way that he was expecting. But I would say, you know, in, in my time, I always believed it was Lakers won, Dodgers two, U.S. football. Those are really the three things that people talked about. Now, as you, again, to my point earlier, as U.S. football has gotten worse, um, as the Rams have kind of emerged, it feels like maybe the Rams have replaced them as a, as a clear three and the NFL is just so huge that there's no way that, um, you know, people aren't going to talk NFL on sports talk radio and all that kind of stuff. So those would probably be my, my three to four, the Rams probably surpassing USC. But to your point, John, I mean, even winning a Super Bowl, I think it was fun for the city. Um, but I don't think like, you know, uh, Staples Center is going to be at half capacity, uh, you know, the next time that they play. Because uh, everybody's kind of still soaking up the Rams thing. It's always going to be a Lakers town, and and really the Dodgers have. You know, I've been to a couple playoff games through the years, and the Dodgers. I mean, I don't think people realize for about eight straight years they've they've had the attendance record or the the highest attendance in the league. I think obviously the COVID year where fans weren't allowed in some stadiums that was broken, but um, you know, Dodgers tickets are tough to get too. So very long-winded way of saying probably Lakers one, uh, Dodgers one A. Then there's probably a big gap with either the Rams. And I'll say this lastly, as I continue to just ramble, um, I'm really curious to see what USC football is like with Lincoln Riley. Obviously, 
I think the roster is going to take a little bit more time in the trenches to really build like a national championship caliber team. But, you know, if they go 10-2 and two next year with Caleb Williams, I'm curious as to what the reaction will be. And I'm just curious because USC football has essentially been irrelevant since I got here. Well, Aaron, as always, man, we appreciate it. Great stuff. Enjoy the weekend. All right, my man? All right. Thank you both. Have a great afternoon. Thank you.